Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so thrilled to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author, and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together, and thankfully, we have some wonderful people helping us along the way. Now, we all hear medical stories of triumph and frustration. There are so many mysteries when it comes to health, why some people who are biologically healthy feel ill, and some people who are biologically ill feel healthy. Doctors have racked their brains for years looking for patterns and problems and links that somehow explain why certain kids, families, parents get better quickly and others get sick quickly and don't recover. And perhaps it might surprise you, as you will hear in the next interview, that how we feel is not necessarily about the dosage of medication or the brilliance of the doctor, but about something simpler, something much more common and humane, but something that isn't always provided. And it comes down to the science of kindness, connection, and human compassion. When we look at our children and notice that some thrive and some continue to falter, It will be interesting to look through the lens of kindness and compassion and connection to see if this is an area that really needs to be bolstered in the lives of our kids that we know and we love. The lives that are often stressed with go, go, go hours, being shuttled from sports practice to music practice to hours of homework, where many people spend a great deal of time, and these kids spend a great deal of time in school, where they might not feel seen or heard, where social media can make us feel more disconnected, envious, perfectionistic. How could some shifts of the heart in the time we spend with people who we want to really spend time with make the difference in the wellness of our children and of ourselves? For that, we turn to Dr. Kelly Harding. Dr. Kelly Harding is an assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at Columbia University Irving Medical Center. She's a diplomat of the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology, as well as boarded in the specialty of psychosomatic mind and body medicine. Kelly has spent much of her career in the emergency room at New York Presbyterian Hospital and has appeared on Today, Good Morning America, NBR, The New York Times, Medscape, Oprah.com, and U.S. News and World Report. Kelly resides in New York City with her family. She also has a new book that just came out called The Rabbit Effect, Live Longer, Happier, and Healthier with Groundbreaking Science of Kindness. I'm so glad to have you on this show. So welcome, Kelly, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Oh, thank you so much, Robin, for having me on. I'm really delighted. This is my crowd. (laughs) Oh, good. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Well, before we delve into this really interesting book, for those who haven't had the opportunity to meet you, to see you speak, to read your book, would you just take a moment to tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so interested in the rabbit effect, as you call it, and the science of kindness? So I... You know, clinically, I was on this mission to try to figure out what we were missing in medicine. And, you know, for many years now, sort of starting in med school, through residency, and then through many fellowships and a public health training later, um, I've been on this quest to try to figure out, you know, why is it that some people do better than others when it comes to health? And it sort of came down to that main question, like, what are we missing in medicine? And so I felt like once I had the answer, I had to write about it. That is so interesting. I love that. So I I just dovetailing off of that, you you pose in the beginning of your book that connections between medical symptoms and mental states seemed clear, but you pose why why did some people fare so much worse than others when medically they really it shouldn't be the case? And you go on to explore the answer to 
what are we missing in medicate in medicine that is so crucial to health as you just mentioned and this is a question that is truly important given that our nation as you point out spends a fortune on healthcare yet we remain remarkably unwell so talk to us about these hidden factors of health that you mentioned the sort of the social dimensions you outline in your book that may be plaguing the key adults in the lives of kids uh, parents, teachers, coaches, as well as the kids themselves. You know, so as a doctor, I was absolutely shocked to learn what really keeps us healthy. So, you know, because I think most of us, when we think about health, we think about, you know, sort of beyond medical care, like, you know, getting a good night's sleep, our diet, you know, exercise, those sorts of things. It turns out that probably you know, while good medical care is absolutely critical, it probably only accounts for about 10 to 20% of our overall health, Mm. which was unbelievable for me. Um, And so when you look at, well, what is this other 80 to 90%? Genes play a role in that, but it turns out they're actually much more malleable than we originally appreciated. And the other big factor is really how we're being treated in our day-to-day lives, like in our homes, our schools, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our broader communities. And that's why, you know, it felt so urgent to write this book because we, in in America in particular, we tend to think of, you know, healthcare as health, but it goes so much beyond that. Mm-hmm. Right. So tell us about that, that idea of the rabbit effect. What, what is that? And, and how does that kind of give you the foundation to, to your book and what you just mentioned about how we're treated? Yeah. You're like, what's the deal with these rabbits? Yes, I know. So- right. I mean, I read the book, but let's <laughs> reveal it to everybody else. So, um, so, while I was sort of on this quest trying to figure out what was going on, one of my mentors, this really lovely fellow named Dr. Arthur Barsky, who's at Harvard, um, you know, we would sort of talk about these medical mysteries. And one of one of our conversations, he said, you know, you might be interested in this rabbit study. And he couldn't quite remember the details, but he gave me enough to sort of track it down. And basically what it was is back in the late 1970s, there were these basic science researchers led by Dr. Robert Neerum, who was they were looking at the connection between, you know, diet and heart health. So they were doing an entirely separate study and what they, and they had the most curious results, basically, you know, all these genetically identical rabbits all got the same high fat diet. They were all sort of expected to have like really, you know, high rates of heart disease. And in fact, there was one group that just had far better, like 60% better health outcomes than the other groups of rabbits. And they thought there was something wrong with their study. So they looked and looked. And finally, they figured out that all of the rabbits that were doing better were under the care of one researcher. And she was a particularly kind and caring individual who apparently wasn't just giving the rabbits kibble. She was also petting the rabbits, picking them up, talking to the rabbits. She was basically giving them love and kindness. And it seemed to be making the difference. So they replicated the study. And they got the exact same results. And they published it in the really prestigious journal Science. So that study sort of led me from the medical center in Columbia, it's like literally across the street, over to the School of Public Health to try to understand what was going on. And that's where I learned, you know, basically there's decades of data that show that our social world is impacting our health in all these different ways. And the rabbit study was just sort of like the beginning of all of this other data. Mm. It's it's fascinating. I mean, I think on 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 some some level, we can stand back and say, yes, that makes complete sense but it is so interesting that what you said is so true that we we've we when we see somebody unwell we go okay what's their diet you know are they exercising you know and and yes we may talk about their stress at work okay because that's become a little bit more accepted but there's so much more to this and you you outline in your book and it really your chapters go straight through this, but you these these sort of social rings, you know, you get yourself in the middle and then other things that are kind of surrounding you that are impacting your health. Can you tell us what some of those are? Sure. Well, I'll start with sort of the closest for our parents who are listening. Um, you know, so things like touch mm-hmm. in the home, like positive, warm, loving touch, actually 
get under our skin in a positive way. Mm -hmm. So there's all this really cool science around epigenetics. So this is not changing the DNA itself, but changing how the DNA folds and how that gets expressed. And it's really amazing because there are these studies, like these really basic science studies. And in the book, I talk about um, these rat licking studies that were done by Dr. Sif and at McGill University, you know, sort of showing that like a mother rat licking her young mm-hmm. actually changes biology. But this type, so this type of epigenetic research has been done over and over. And it's fascinating because it's sort of this missing link between the mind and the body in a lot of ways. So, you know, we all feel better when we have, you know, the supportive hand of a loved one, you know, a hug from somebody we really care about. All of those things make a difference, but it turns out it's actually making a difference on a biological microscopic level too, which is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, it's uh, before you go into the other rings, it's so interesting because what you're reminding me of is you talk about this mind-body connection and you, 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 which you discuss later on in the book, but earlier in the book, you also talk about this beautiful, iconic story of Kate Ogg. And you detail this seemingly miraculous recovery of her dying baby who who wound up surviving because of this warmth of the caring touch of of his parents. And and we've you know, some of us may have heard of some of this need for hugs or or eye contact, you know, a, a rub on the back. But you, you really talk about the importance of of snuggling and and holding that eye contact and holding hands because it helps to, you know, this regulate breathing. And, and I'd love for you to, to kind of go a little further with it and explain to us about how, when we're rushed in society so much of the time, I mean, cuddle time is kind of, you know, we just need you to go to bed. And that intimate talking time is often cut short because we got to get the kids to practice Totally. Yeah. So, so, I mean, and you're a mom too. So can, can you tell us what, what we can do to increase that sort of sweet intimacy time with our children so that we can feel more connected and we kind of integrate more purposefully, I guess, in the beginning, we're gonna have to be more conscious of it and be like, okay, I need to hug my child more. I need to touch my child more. I need to kind of hold the eye contact more. But what would you say we can do today that can help us to become more connected and utilize some of these keys of, of touch that you explain in your book? Sure. So, so I'm, I should also mention, I have like a little toolkit where I run through this, but I am trying this out in my own home yes. every day with my three kids. Yes. So, yes. so also I was not raised in a particularly touchy home. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like my parents were a little bit more like physically distant, mm-hmm. but, but it, you know, after reading the data, I've made a point of yes. trying to be more, you know, sort of loving touch with my kids. So, so actually it's pretty funny now with, with my boys, like I, we practice hugs in the morning, like, you know, and so the optimal hug length is a little longer than you would expect. Like probably anything is good, but it turns out it's like six to 20 seconds. Yes. I heard the 20 seconds thing. I was like trying this out (laughs) yesterday. I'm not, I'm not even kidding with my nine-year-old boy. Right. And like, I, I hug him a good amount, but like after, you know, like after like eight seconds, he's like, 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 you know what I mean? Like, he's like, okay, <laughs> I think that's good. I mean, and I, I'm now hugging him more often because I really do feel like it, it makes a difference. And, it, you know, people talk about the like number of hugs and I'm not trying to be like sitting there counting them, but I'm trying to hug him more. But he's like, okay, <laughs> like, I'm good. So 20 seconds, um, you know, 20 seconds for as your kids are getting older. I'm like any, I'm just going to say a lot of teens are probably, like, you know, preteen and teens are like, okay, okay, everybody. <laughs> right. <laughs> so for with the younger kids, it's a little easier. And so like yeah. now, I mean, you can sort of sneak the cuddles in in other ways. So now like even like watching TV, like if we pop on a movie yes. or something, oh, like I try point. to like snuggle in a little bit more with the kids, like I'm more <laughs> conscious of doing yes. it. And also my husband too, but it's like, um, but the hugging thing is kind of funny. And so actually my kids have heard me talk about the book and the research and yes. stuff. So I sometimes even say like, we're practicing our hugs, like yes. got to lean in 
into it yeah. and it, they sort of get it. But yeah, but it's also funny because friends of mine who have read the book um, will also like like I'll realize I'm getting like a really long hug all of a sudden. They're like, I'm going for the 20 seconds. Oh, I love it. I mean, honestly, <laughs> 20 seconds. That's like a great challenge. I think we should we should challenge our audience, our listeners right now. Like try a 20 second hug with your kid tonight. And yes, like a three year old's totally much easier, I think, to kind of get that, you know, where they're like almost sleeping on you. Like you could just do that. Oh, for hours. oh my god! Remember that? That was amazing. Yeah. Um, but no. now like, you know, they're, 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 they've got things to do, you know, people to see. <laughs> right. right. So, um, so I've been trying to do it like walking out the door in the morning, like getting a little bit, yes. cause it, that's the other thing is you can kind of set the tone for your day and your kids day a little bit when you, you know, take the, time, even just, you know, 20 seconds or something to get in a hug, just like tell them how much you love them. Cause you just, you know, you never know what's going to happen Ooh, during the day. Point. So, yes. and, and it's nice cause it actually, it's got this lovely knock on effect where it's like you or a ripple effect where, you know, you're, when someone's kind to you, you're more likely to pass it on to Agreed. someone else and vice versa. So, um, so that's the thing. It's just trying to implement more of that stuff as we go about our day. And I know it gets so rushed. I mean, I think for me, one of the big takeaways of the books and probably how my life has changed in a lot of respects is, um, you know, really just trying to prioritize connection time. And so, you know, I've actually stopped scheduling my kids for quite so much oh after gosh, school. Right? Yes. It's hard. Yeah. Though. yeah. It's, it's really hard. And I think, um, yeah, just really trying to like when you can try to spend that face to face time with them. And the the other big thing that I think all of us struggle with, and I know you've had experts on your show about this, but like, you know, is rethinking technology in our lives yes. too, you know, because we're not going to be locking eyes with the people we love if we're looking at our phone. So really trying to be like much more intentional about phone yeah. usage in our house. And we actually, for our kids, once we saw the data um, and, you know, you've heard, probably heard this talk about like generation alpha, like basically like kids 10 and under, it's like they've never known life without mm -hmm. smartphones kind yeah. of. So right. like we ended up like really curtailing all technology usage recently. And it, you know, it, there was some pushback on that of for course. sure. And there right, still is, sure. but yeah, at the same yeah. time, the upside is like, like everybody's playing a lot more. They're interacting a lot more. There's more conflicts, but you know, learning to navigate conflict is part of kindness too. So <laughs> no, it's, it's a, it's a valid point. And, you know, I, I think you're right. When, when I was reading your book, I felt like that idea of social media and, and technology kept kind of coming up in my head. I feel like, and I was talking to my ta my 10 year old uh, daughter about this very recently. We were cuddled up in her bed. Um, oh. Yeah. Before, before she went to sleep. And I was saying to her, like, I really wished that she wasn't living in a time that was so, you know, focused on technology. And I'm telling her about growing up in the 80s, you know, and the, anybody who's grown up, you know, <laughs> 70s, 80s, you know, before that, whatever. They, I just, I feel like it was a lot better for a lot of reasons because we were, we were out in nature more. We were, you know, connected with our communities more. We were connected with our neighborhoods more. And, and now I see kids like walking down the street with their face in their phones and, 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 and adults too, uh, absolutely. And we know that from research that that social ties are really important to health and you talk about this in your book as well and even saying and this kind of goes back to the social these like social rings that you outline in your book this this idea of this loneliness loop that is especially concerning when we we think of how many kids are expressing that they feel lonely or they feel anxious these days so you know, when, when you're looking at those, those rings and, and what's impacting our health, can you explain this loneliness loop and, and what are some of the solutions to help our kids and ourselves feel more connected minus the technology that's kind of throwing a wrench in that? Right. And I think, you know, that's the thing, like the technology is not going away and it's got upsides. I mean, it's how yes. we're talking right now and it's how we connect with other people. But we have to we're learning to set parameters sort of as a society around that and our yeah. kids most definitely. So, um, you know, loneliness is one of those things that for many years was underappreciated as a health risk. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's now finally getting its due because we know that feeling lonely, chronically lonely is as significant a risk to health as things like smoking 15 cigarettes mm -hmm. a day wow. or drinking heavy alcohol um, or even high blood pressure. So, you know, it's, 
And it's interesting because, you know, when we think about sort of like going to see the doctor often, we don't always talk about, you know, do we have somebody that we feel close enough to when things aren't going well that we could give a call to? Or have we reached out to somebody we love this week just to say hi and check in? Like, but it turns out that's as important for our health as, you know, going to the gym and getting a good night's sleep. Those things matter, but it also matters that we're connected to the people around us. And so, um, so this loneliness loop for me is really fascinating because there's sort of, it seems as though loneliness can be broken down into two different varieties. There's the loneliness when you literally don't have, you know, the number of people in your life that you're close to. And, you know, there's some debate about it, but it appears as though the number of people that, um, that individuals feel close to is on the downward trend and yes. particularly young people. Um, and then the flip side of that is, you know, people that... I think Elvis sort of described it as feeling like lonely in a crowded room. Like, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you yes. can be surrounded by people, but not really feeling like you're clicking with them in right. a way that you're connected and feel supported. Like you don't feel like people have your back kind of. So, right. um, so we have to be thinking about loneliness in those two different ways. And, you know, social media often, you know, it's like you see these photos of people having their perfect mm-hmm. lives. Yes. Right. <laughs> depressing it is or or, or people feel left out because they think especially for teenagers they see other people at some party they weren't invited are you kidding i feel it now like i i I, i'm on i'm on i'm on social media and it's like a a bunch of moms that i know and they're like we had the best time at dinner the other night celebrating so-and-so's birthday (laughs) and i'm like oh you know i would have loved to have gone there and and you're all of a sudden feeling like they, you know, you're not part of that. And it, it does feel very lonely. Even if you're with these people, you can, you can feel lonely because you're, you're sort of on the outs, like you're on the, you're on the perimeter of, of what's actually happening. I understand kids feel like it, but I feel like parents feel like that all the time too, especially if they're not kind of in the mix. My kid is, um, one of my kids is like very, like not very into the competitive sports. And so he's doing piano and he's doing robotics. Well, I'm not, you know, when they're talking about driving to soccer practice and baseball practice and, oh, did you see that game? And what did you think of that? And I'm standing there and I'm like, I am so (laughs) not involved in this. And you, so you can be right in there in the conversation and then feel totally not included at the same time. So I feel like adults are getting it almost just as much as the kids are getting it right now because we're all very involved with social media. Yeah, no, it's really true. And I think, yeah, it just feeling disconnected is, it's, it's important to be aware of it. And I think it's actually something important to talk about too, because it can sort of feel like it's everybody else is hanging out, but me kind of. So yes, especially I think, um, I know as a working parent too, it sort of always yes. feels like, right. like I'm just not as available for some of these things and maybe that's part of it. But, but I think the thing is to look for the positive connections and try to yes. bolster those positive connections. Cause that's what it really takes. It takes like one good friend, you yes. know, even one good friend at a time is what matters. And, and also, you know, every little bit of social connection counts, it turns out when it comes to things like loneliness. So even like, you know, people who live in um, metropolitan areas, like you have countless opportunities throughout the day to interact with people. So it's actually kind of changed my practice in terms of like, you know, even when I'm like grabbing a cup of coffee or something now, I make a point of like locking eyes with the person yes. who's handing me my coffee yes. or even chit-chatting about how their day was. Yes. And, you There's know, something and so- very nice about like walking into the coffee shop and then we like, you know, hi, Robin. I'm like, I, I love that feeling. And it is true. You can't discount the fact. And I know their names too, that, that there is a connection there and it makes your world feel a little bit more cuddly. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. And actually it's cool because there are all these studies basically showing that loose social ties actually have a big influence on our health too. So, you know, do what you can to kind of bolster those interactions. And it's funny because like the other thing that's really cool about kindness is it's like, we know that stress is bad for our health, but kindness is good for our health. Mm -hmm. It boosts our immune system. It lowers our blood pressure. It helps us feel more relaxed and connected and all that. So, um, you know, so sort of look for those moments where you can kind of do good in these Mm -hmm. tiny minutes. So like, if you're listening to this in your car, like it could be letting someone who seems in a rush go ahead of you. Oh, you good know. point. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, you know, even just little moments during the day where you have the opportunity to extend kindness, it's, it's nice for the other person, but actually it benefits you. And I think, you know, it's just a nice thing to keep in mind. And the, 
the bigger thing is you could also do things like volunteering. It turns out like volunteering mm. is amazing for your health. And I love that it's like, you know, volunteering not, not only benefits the project you're doing, but it actually boosts your health. Like volunteers live longer. So, mm. you know, find, find something you're interested in, engage, show up, you know, take a friend along, do what you can to take your kid along, you know, to do those kinds of things. Actually, it's a win-win for all around. Mm. Wow. Yes. I, you think about these, um, sometimes they feature these uh, grandparents or whatever that go in and, and, and hug babies, you know, in the hospital and how good that is for both, oh. you know, you know, both volu- both the volunteer and the baby, especially like the babies that, you know, the parents had to go back to work, but they're still in ICU. And, you know, the, you, you think about those kinds of things and um, people who are big brothers, big sisters, you know, that are lending their time um, to kids that are in need in different ways. It's absolutely, you know, a beautiful thing to be able to do um, that volunteer work and meet face to face with people who need your help and are grateful for your health but it's true it kind of comes right back at you you feel like such a flood of um you know good feelings that go through your body and there's just nothing to replace that yeah no it's true it's like you can't overdose on it it's like really fantastic and i think what's also cool a friend of mine actually does this and i ended up writing it into the book too she does community service and she has a it's like a kids club community service so it's basically she's like hitting a lot of the hidden factors all at once. Cause not only is she volunteering on topics they're interested in, but she's involving her children. So she's having, you know, quality time with them. And then she's also getting to know people in her community because, mm, um, because other, you know, they're doing this all together. And so, I mean, there are all these like interesting studies that like, if you know your neighbors, you live longer, you know, you mentioned nature earlier, mm-hmm. like all that we can do to be out in nature more. You know, I live in the middle of Manhattan. So nature feels a little hard to come by sometimes, but like even things like having a plant at your desk, flowers, mm. like all mm. that like boosts our mood and tends to actually make us kinder, which is nice. Wow, that's so interesting. Just buy a plant today, everybody. <laughs> or or even better, give one to a friend oh, who's done something nice. nice to you or needs yes. it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I love that idea. Yes, I think that does connect. And I, I think about the nature, the nature connection often because as we discussed just a moment ago, the technology piece becomes, you know, so much so intense that sometimes people aren't even looking up at the trees. They're not even interacting by you know, when they're walking around and they're they're spending a lot more time indoors rather than being outdoors in nature and kind of interacting with the natural playgrounds outside uh, that the kids can, you know, we used to hang on trees and bring home turtles and <laughs> to our yeah. parents' chagrin probably. But, you know, it's it's something that's really important. I totally, I had several pet turtles as a kid <laughs> from that same, same thing. I think one bit me. But, yeah. um, <laughs> but, but I think... Um, Actually, this brings up another good point because there's also this really interesting evidence around nature and our health, so our mood. So, you know, having trees on your street reduces mm-hmm. rates of depression, which mm-hmm. is kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. I um, love seeing near, them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Living near a park or going to a park frequently. So, as much as you can, just like making a point of like maybe having lunch at a park mm-hmm. or doing something like that if you can get out during the day or taking your kids in the evening for like a picnic in the park if it's nice out or um, planting flowers is a big one. So there are all these um, around like community spaces. So Mm. there's these really interesting studies out of Philly showing that if you landscape vacant lots, which can be a community project, it actually reduces gun violence in different neighborhoods. Yeah. Mm. And it also it also boosts property values. So it's sort of like a win win all around. And then if even better, like um, community gardens, like, you know, kids are more likely to eat vegetables they grow. And so it's funny, even here in Manhattan, I've noticed that there are all these community gardens that I just sort of like walked by without realizing it, but they're open to the public and you can step in and it feels like this different world. And if you have time, you can volunteer there. It's Mm. really, it's a lovely thing to be aware of. And it there are these really cool studies, mostly out of Japan, showing it boosts your natural killer cells. So it tends Mm. to like it, like it, get your immune system in high gear to be surrounded by by nature. Mm, love that. So the the loneliness loop that you had mentioned before, 
I, I just was wondering, as I was reading your book, you talk later in the book, not even the same chapter, it was totally like later on in the book about feeling invisible. And you know, that's something that we talk about fairly often on this podcast, especially when we're we're discussing friendship and kids and the sort of social standing that they're in at school. Uh, yeah. This idea of feeling invisible can be so hard on these kids. So I was just wondering if the loneliness loop sort of collides with that feeling invisible and, and how that might impact a, a person's health when they're feeling invisible and then therefore often feeling lonely. Yeah, right. So, so there are a couple of things with that because I think, you know, the book is really and all the data is really about, you know, prioritizing connection and relationships. And when you're feeling lonely, you know, there are I would say probably the easiest thing to do is like a gesture of kindness to try to connect mm. yourself to someone else. And, you know, the thing is you can do one or two and it may not work, but you can keep trying. Eventually you'll sort of hit gold kind mm. of, um, that's mm. one piece of it. The other thing is, and this is something I talk about in the book and I think working in mental health, I'm particularly aware of is, um, you know, we don't do a particularly good job in America talking about trauma, but yes. it turns out that, yes. you know, like when we look at, you know, because the sort of the opposite of what we're talking about is true as well, that, you know, when people have traumatic experiences, especially as a kid, it impacts health. And it's actually pretty, um, for re listeners who maybe aren't familiar with ACEs or adverse childhood experiences, there are these, you know, even online checklists, basically, where um, people can just sort of go over what ha things that happened as a child, and then how it impacts them as an adult. And what's nice is, there's actually lots of interventions that you know, can be done to help people and, and try to create what's known as post-traumatic growth. But, you know, I think particularly coming back to kids, though, you know, I think I'll, we don't do a great job talking about it. And it turns out that probably every other person you pass on the street has some history of yes. childhood trauma. Right. And, you know, I think it, it comes in all different forms, but it I think in a way it can make one just to know you're not alone and that, you know, as a kid, you're not alone. And then the other piece of that is also recognizing that sometimes when we see bad, what we would call bad behavior is, or maladaptive behavior is, you know, it's coming from a place of hurt. So mm -hmm. um, also to think about that, because there's so much pain out there. And, you know, we've seen it come to light and adults in really unhealthy ways, because I think, you know, the way we typically treat pain in this country is, you know, prescribing someone uphill. Right. But, it, you know, it's like, that's not going to solve this kind of pain. We got to really bolster our communities and talk about some of this uncomfortable stuff. It, it's, it's absolutely true. I'm all about that. Just talking about really the tough conversation, having those tough conversations. I was just talking to a friend the other day who detailed her childhood trauma and and how she's now finally getting some help and and that how important it is for her to to talk about this type of stuff that she had really not talked about she kind of put in the past and she was living in the present but she was finding that she really wasn't enjoying life even though she had whatever she wanted in terms of a great family, like great kids, great husband, great house, great neighborhood. And yet this piece was keeping her from embracing her life, enjoying her life. Um, and, and she's finally recognizing that and, and giving what she has now said is self-care by going yeah. and get the help that she needs. Oh my gosh. And what a lovely model for her kids too. Cause I think, you know, that's the other piece of this for educators and parents listening is when we take care of ourselves, we're also showing our kids that that's, that's what you do. And mm -hmm. that's part of being kind is, you know, a lot of times it's actually kinder to be, it's easier to be kinder to other people than ourselves. Oh, sure. But, you know, I think the more we practice being kind to other people, the easier or the better we get at being kind to ourselves too. So, um, you know, taking care of yourself in whatever capacity that may be. And what's really, I particularly like about trauma is it about addressing trauma is that you can not only, you know, things like therapy can be helpful and there's sort of a whole host of techniques for that, but you know, there's also all these other tools and it really depends on, you know, 
the person and what's right for them in their life, but even things like writing about experiences mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and not even for that long, like 15 minutes a day for three days in a row has been shown to dramatically change the perception of what happened. Um, and again, it's trying to, we can't change the past, but how do we live with something and recognize that we've grown from it to some some extent? Mm-hmm. So, um, and there's even things like, you know, trauma-informed yoga now. There's all these different, like uh, there's something that's right for everyone mm-hmm. out there. It's just a question of getting connected with it. And then also, yeah, it, it's it's really hard because there's so much stigma around these yeah. things and they're uncomfortable to talk about. So we don't, you know, a lot of times they don't go into the details of what happened. It's just trying to like work through them. Yes. So Yeah, I have a friend who goes, she, she goes and gets a special kind of massage um, that, yeah. that can help with that and uh, just addressing some of the things that happened in her past. Um, and, and she finds herself crying, you know, during the yes. massage. Yeah. I've, I've actually talked to a countless, it's fascinating for me because it's, it doesn't necessarily, I, you know, we hold a lot of trauma in our bodies yes. and, um, it's, it's fascinating to me because I don't fully understand how it works, but I've heard that from countless people mm. that, you know, especially when you've had some sort of trauma that massage actually can be a wonderful release. And it kind of comes back to that, um, that touch that we yes. were talking, like yeah. kind, loving touch is really helpful and it's it's not just a luxury it's actually like a necessity throughout our lifetime yes yes i think that's really a good way to put it and you spend a a chapter focusing on work environment and then and another one focusing on on purpose and when i was reading them i I couldn't help but think of of kids in school given that this is their work environment and and how how many are, are no longer being propelled by their own purpose a lot of the time, but rather one that's sort of built on keeping up the Joneses, you know, preparing for college admissions, fulfilling their parents' dreams, just doing what everybody else is doing. You know, how many of this type of course do you have? Do you have what's supposed to make you look good on paper? So what does environment and sense of purpose have to do with our health, given that stress and lack of purpose can have such a grave impact on our health? So, so there are a couple of different things in there. So coming back to the education piece, and I know you have a lot of educators who mm-hmm. are listening to this podcast, yeah. um, you know, it's really striking because I think if you could invest in anything for health, it turns out it's actually education. And um, by education, there's sort of the data around like formal education, but then it's also getting at you know, what is education for? And like, you know, we, how do you create a lifelong learner? Cause that's really what we want to do. And that's mm-hmm. where it seems like the maximum health benefits are because when you're learning and you're involved in something, you're really getting at, it's, you know, it's like the heart and uh, sorry, it's the mind and heart. And it's that heart connection of like connecting you to purpose. That's so critical. So, mm-hmm. um, and what's also nice is often purpose is tied to community and sort of our greater environment. It connects us in all these different ways. So, um, you know, it. I think we've we've seen how it can go awry, sort of like, you know, focused on like what's on the CV versus yes. like what somebody's learning. And um, I talk about that a lot in, in the book. Like I feel like after looking at the data, um, you know, it's all about purpose. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like I like good grades are nice, but, um, but it's really about focusing on the the purpose and creating a, that curiosity Mm. that gets people up and out the door in the morning to go do something that they feel inspired about because, you know, initially it's school, but then it's work. And wouldn't it be amazing if we all had, you know, jobs that we felt inspired Mm -hmm. by and we also felt, you know, treated us with dignity. And it it turns out, you know, between education and work, that's like our major component of our health. So there's a stat that I cite in the book that um, for every life saved, and this, this like blew my mind. I still like, I talk about it a lot with all my public health friends, like for every life saved by biomedicine, it turns out that um, education saves eight. Wow. So yeah. So like if we're going to invest and also, you know, think about how we invest, we spend a fortune on medical care, but we often undercut Ugh, education. No right? kidding. So yes. It turns out education is not only, it's not only helpful on sort of a practical level, like knowing how to, you know, 
work a like navigate a system kind of and understand your medical care but also there seems to be something primary about education like there's these interesting studies showing that education actually impacts telomere length which is telomere are the little knobs at the end of our dna that are um that correlate with lifespan so um isn't that amazing it's, like it's that incredible. education actually helps us live longer so I, and I think what's cool is both for, you know, people who teach and then also for all the adults listening, like we can find education in so many different areas now. And that's one place technology actually kind of excels because you can like find a class on yes. something you're interested in and sign up for it. Mm. And the key is to not just like do the class and gain the like the content knowledge, but to also like connect with yes. the class. Like, yes. like even if it's online, like, you know, reach out to people yes. who are also in the class, reach out to the teacher, yes. you know, see if you can bring a friend along, you know, do it or teach something that you've learned to your community or your neighborhood. So it's fascinating. Yes, it's so fascinating. So I just just this morning at the gym, I was talking to a woman and we were just marveling at the difference a teacher makes in our children's, you know, desire to go to school, like feeling about school, feeling about themselves. Like my son is so like, he loves his teacher this year and she adores him. And my goodness, it's like just a complete and utter difference to see a, you know, to see a child writing, I love fourth grade, you know, at the same child who last year was like, please don't make me go to school. Like, I I just, I, I really can't stand it. So, you know, that idea of connecting to what you're learning, who's teaching it, who's learning alongside you. I mean, that is, that is fascinating. Um, thank you for saying that. I feel like, hey, don't worry, I'll make it into a meme because people <laughs> will love to share that one. That is a good one. All right, before we get to our top tip, you, you were saying that in, in your book that being kind takes bravery and, and it requires fearlessness and, and it doesn't mean being passive or being a pushover. Many adults, parents, teachers, coaches, they feel the need sometimes and we hear this especially with our coaches who are working with their kids, they feel the need to be very stern and maybe even harsh to get their points across to children who might be hyperactive or dismissive or distracted. But uh, we had Jane Nelson on the on, on the podcast who who's f- sort of famous for saying, and she said on our podcast too, like who in the world came up with the notion that we can make kids do better by making them feel worse. Um, oh my gosh, right? Right, That's right. So true. So true, yeah. so true. She's like famous for saying, she said it on the podcast too. And and so I, it's in that spirit that I just want you to imagine that someone is listening to this podcast who's is been having like sort of a, a very, let's say they're having a very hard and truthful moment right now. They're like, listen, they're, they're realizing that there is some disconnection in their family or in their classroom or and they're, and that harshness has sort of become part of their everyday yelling or misunderstanding or intolerance or frustration, stress, and there needs to be a change. So what conversation would you encourage that person to have with their family or their classroom or their gym or whatever? And that would maybe start the process of, of getting everybody on board and, and, and repairing um, what's been going on so that they can move forward together towards a healthy future. Well, I think you can't really repair without connecting first. Mm-hmm. And so, and it, it's a hard thing because I think, you know, and it's not just, you know, in our classrooms, it's also in our workplaces yes, too, like sure. people like kind of making people other feel bad about stuff, mm-hmm. but that really doesn't motivate people no. to no. be more engaged and more involved. Um, none of us like to be treated that way. So, um, you know, so I would say the first part is connecting and Mm. that can be done in a variety of different ways. You know, one of the things that can be helpful is, you know, whether it be like a one-on-one conversation, usually that's almost a better way to go or a small group, something where you can sort of check in with people to see how it's going. It's funny in our own family, you know, cause we all have our moments, right? Like we're all human. And it's funny cause my kids sometimes will like remind me that I've written a book on kindness yes. <laughs> and then like to be a little bit nicer, yes. but like, um, but you know, it's, it's also funny cause I think, um, we grow through those experiences too. And also admitting that we sometimes get oh, things wrong. I think it's sure. so important apologizing. For kids. Yes, definitely. Yeah, like a- apologizing and then also recognizing that nobody is perfect. And yes. I, this for me really hit a home because um, I came in 
this was a little while ago, but like I came in, my kitchen was like a complete disaster. We had like guests coming that over. That never and- happens in my family <laughs> ever. Not, not even yesterday. Yes. <laughs> right. And so like I start shouting at the kids and yes, then later um, to like clean up, we've got like people coming yes. over. And, um, and so anyway, later I talked to my seven-year-old who I said, you know, I think I overreacted when I was shouting. Yes. And it was so funny because he looked at me and he's like, uh, or I said, I think, I think I overreacted, you know, when you guys made that mess. Yeah. And he's like, first of all, you're human. Oh, you I make love mistakes. <laughs> I love when they say the thing back to us. That's the best. <laughs> totally. It was so cool. And then the funny thing was the second part of it is he was like, and second of all, that wasn't a mess. It was a science experiment. <laughs> oh, love it. Thank you for like... reiterating. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. So I, I think that's the other thing is like, we're all... And it kind of gets back to that lifelong learning thing, right? Like we're mm. always students too. Like yes. even though we may be in the role of authority as like yes. an educator or a parent, like we are always students too. Such a good point. Complete this sentence. What I really want parents and key adults to know about the science of kindness, compassion, and connection in a child's life is? Yeah, be gentle. That would probably be it. Um, you know, be gentle, be gentle on yourself and be gentle on them. And yeah, because that's, that's really what it comes down to. Because I think, um, you know, we talked a little bit about the role of trauma and sort of mm-hmm. shifting from this, like what's wrong with you to what happened to you mm-hmm. kind of mindset. And, you know, be gentle because you don't know what someone else is struggling with. And sometimes even in your own home, you don't know what people are struggling with. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's important to keep in mind as we go forward because, you know, we really, I think we're at some sort of tipping point, I hope, where, mm-hmm. you know, we really need to think about how we're treating each other in society because it's, it's impacting our health. And we're seeing that on these like population level studies that, you know, we are really we're not even like practically on the same graph when you look at like us compared to other wealthy nations, Mm. like we are across the board, not doing well with health. And I think it really comes down to that. We're not necessarily, we're prioritizing, we're putting all our eggs in one basket and we're not prioritizing, um, thinking about how we treat one another in our communities. Mm. I think you're hitting the nail on the head. It certainly resonates with me and and certainly in some in many of the interviews that I've done that we're focusing so much on what success looks like, but success in in such a you know clinical or you know academic way rather than you know an overall what an overall successful person looks like one that's connected and and feels good about themselves makes other people feel good i think about the work of michelle borba who talks about empathy and the need to bring that really so much more back into our into our schools and into our environments um that we you know move from thinking so much about ourselves and how we look to everybody else to you know focusing on other people and how we're treating them. So um, that certainly resonates with me. And I appreciate that. What is your top tip? Um, What do you want us to come away with after listening to this podcast or reading your book uh, about the rabbit effect and and really what we should be doing about it uh, going forward? Well, I actually think that top the top t- tip and recommendation is, I mean, we've, we've all had people who've been kind to us in our lives. So it's nice to just stop for a moment and sort of think about who those people are. Mm-hmm. And then I would encourage you to reach out to somebody who's been kind to you and um, send them a note or try to meet them for coffee or mm-hmm. do okay. something to recognize that. Because I think, you know, a lot of times we don't have any idea how our kindness is impacting someone else's Mm. life. And sometimes it's like these really simple things that actually make a big difference. And it's so meaningful to hear about that. So, you know, take the time Mm. to do that. That almost made me cry. So that's, that's a good one. That's a winner. I love that idea. And I, I will do that. And I, somebody comes to mind right away. Give us the resource of the week. Where can we go to get more information about you, your book and everything you're doing? Well, I've got a, I, I've just put together a website, <laughs> so mm-hmm. you're welcome to, I think it's kellyhardingmd.com. Um, this is all new for me with the book, but um, that would be a good place. And then, you know, I think the other thing is like, there is so much good stuff out there when it comes to sort of brainstorming ideas to be kinder. And I think, again, like looking at some of the conflict resolution stuff that's out there, I 
I actually have a section on it in the book because I think it's so important. It's like sort of like the most important life skill that we do not learn anywhere in formal mm. education oftentimes. But um, there's, you know, really lovely work that's been done, you know, and I highlight sort of like how do you address like problems when they arise and focus more on the problem and not the people and, um you know, I, I would say do what you can. Even if you Google that, like tips for conflict resolution, you could probably come up with some good stuff. Uh, Coleman McCarthy has done some lovely work around that, um, who uh, was a reporter for The Washington Post for a long time. And um, he has actually been a really big support with all this. He was someone I reached out to 20 years after the fact to say, your class changed my life. Oh. And um, and it's actually, he just wrote a really lovely piece in the Washington Post about that experience, oh, so, which was wow. really nice. Oh, that's and so I, neat. It's so heartwarming to reconnect with people that have made a difference. And even if it's been a long time, like yeah. I just encourage listeners to go out and do that. Love that. Love that. Absolutely. Well, perhaps we'll have to have an additional conversation with you about conflict resolution as we go forward. It's never enough time. But I just want to thank you so much for coming on to the show today and talking to us about the science of kindness and, and reminding us uh, to really reach out to others um, and, and let them know that their kindness means a lot to us, but also recognizing that the way that we are with others, being gentle with each other, being uh, recognizing that everybody's going through different things and doing our best to connect with them in different ways, making good eye contact, saying hello, knowing people's names. And as it comes to our children, you know, making sure we're hugging them and snuggling with them and, and, and knowing that when we are having those moments with them, that they, it, it it bolsters our connection, but also helps everybody with their health. I just, I just appreciate the work that you've done. It's clear you've done a lot of work in this area. And um, I appreciate you coming on the show today to talk to us about it. Thank you. Oh my gosh, Robin, I am so grateful for your show because I mean, parenting is really hard work. So, so like we need all the support and community we can get and you're creating that with your work. So thank you. Thank you for that. I will take that a compliment. I appreciate <laughs> it. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. So let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook, go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm also on Instagram at drrobinsilverman. I'll be creating all kinds of memes based on what Kelly has said to us today. There's so many great quotes and we certainly will put those on memes and I want to have those shared all over the place. And look, if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you will go up to iTunes and rate and review this podcast so that other people hear more about it. The more you rate and review the podcast, the more exposure it gets, the more people will hear about these great solutions and they can use them in their own homes. And when we have more connected kids and kind kids, it's better for everybody. So I would really appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts are up there, and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Perhaps you have heard something today and you thought, oh, goodness, you know, I've been fighting with my kid. I've been having this moment with my employees. I've been doing this stuff with my spouse or my loved ones, and I'm frustrated, and I can't believe that I've been doing that. Don't bash yourself. There's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. You can do it differently now that you have the information. I get it. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.